and welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast, featuring the curmudgeonly yet open-minded musings of two guys in their early 40s as they stare down the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry, and I'm joined by my friend, Noah Tarnow, a vague quiz thing. How are you, Noah Tarnow? I am well, my friend. I appreciate that. Always nice to be your friend. Well, we're going to get into it because this is going to make all kinds of sense in about six minutes because we are... Uh, Some kinds of sense, not all kinds. We are discussing a very specific, a hyper-specific topic, a monotopic, if you will, a lifestyle clothing line born in New York in 1994 called Supreme. Uh, Yes, Supreme. My favorite clothing line named after a Rob Liefeld comic book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was a terrible comic book character, but uh, the yes. the reboot. Well, uh, I liked Alan Moore's run. All right, the I reboot by Alan, Alan Moore was pretty good. Exactly, I had no idea yes. this was this All was right. in the continuity of the Wildstorm universe or the. <laughs> <laughs> But, I'm, but there we are. Oh, man. We just lost half of our listenership. Oh, okay, that's fine. go ahead. So we're down to eight people. So Supreme, for those of you who don't know, and I'm assuming that's pretty much everybody, Supreme is a clothing line founded in 94 by a guy named James Jebbia, who is a iconic streetwear uh, label designer, retailer. I don't know what you'd call him in that case. Uh, <coughs> in any case. Bag? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Supreme opened its doors down in Lafayette on, in downtown Manhattan, where it resides to this day. It's on Lafayette right around spring i believe currently the brand has nine total locations in new york los angeles london and tokyo due to the limited runs for each collection streetwear enthusiasts are known to line up overnight just to get their hands on their favorite pieces so what you have here is really hot hip clothing modestly made stuff short numbers artificial tampering of supply high demand yes instant cool am i missing it here no am yeah. i getting it i think so i mean i think it's important when we say streetwear that everyone recognize what that means i mean streetwear as i understand it is a style a, a concept that developed like in the early 80s it combines aspects of uh, primarily skate culture you know some punk influences some hip-hop influences a lot of hip-hop influences it is viewed as having or at least ideally having what some would call street cred you know authenticity that the real people hang on the street the real skaters this is this is the way they look this is what they wear spoiler alert i find something oxymoronic in the very nature of supreme but uh we'll, we'll get at that but yeah you pretty much gave the basics there yeah i was really i'm glad you explained streetwear because i have in my notes here it's in all caps what the fuck does streetwear mean it sounds like a, a coded term for something the way you say when, when you say urban and what you're really referring to is black everything i own is streetwear because i walk on a fucking street uh <laughs> Seriously, I, I was a as little... opposed to your your school uniform. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I dressed up like a babendum, like a Michelin man. It, it, it's like what is streetwear exactly? Anyway, so I think you explained it correctly. It's essentially skater wear, which is why. Yeah. I thought this was worth talking about because neither of us are skaters. Neither of us have anything to no. do with that kind of... Well, more to the point, neither of us were skaters when we were that age. When it no, it's more true. Relevant. Even in the suburb I was in, you know, there were obviously skateboarders everywhere. And I'm not taking anything away from skateboarding. But in researching Supreme, it seems that the influence of skateboarders on culture was maybe a little outsized. It's hard to say because this is such a small niche thing. But it looks like... In terms of your quote-unquote influencer power, the culture of people who ride skateboards, I mean, and you said there's also a sous 
of punk and hip-hop and rap so you you do have this overlap of black kids white kids brown kids whomever it doesn't seem totally monolithic but I, i could be wrong about that these people were affecting culture in such a way that it was creating what other people would call authenticity this is another thing i get lost on it's like what the fuck does authentic mean it's a shirt how is the shirt i'm wearing not authentic there is such a fetishization of authenticity in our culture i mean it's out of control you see this a lot in sports fandom and by the way i'm going to draw a lot of comparisons here between supreme and sports fandom fashion and sports are two giant multi-zillion dollar obsessions in our culture in every culture really that i have no understanding of and part of my problem with sports is this idea that like I'm a real fan and how important that is and I remember when the Brooklyn Nets were first established people wearing t-shirts going fan since day one which really pissed me off because I was going why are you proud of this like the players aren't from Brooklyn the team didn't exist a year ago what are you they have no history what are you rooting for you're basically saying I am a fan of billionaires who decided they can make money off my community I just think you might as well have tool tattooed on your forehead And this authenticity thing is people always want to seem, yeah, I'm real, I'm honest, I'm no bullshit. But how real can you be if you have a multi-million dollar, if you're paying a multi-million dollar company to advertise for them? Before we start recording, we were talking about some of the articles we read about Supreme. And there's an article on uh, Complex, the 10 types of people that shop at Supreme. And one of them was corny internet alt girls. And they show this graphic of this girl affecting a rapper style. She's got the little rapper hand motion. She's wearing sunglasses. And the text says, of course, with no punctuation, I'm on that gangster shit and I don't give a fuck. And she's wearing a red hat with a giant Supreme logo on it. Like, well, you don't give a fuck. You're such a rebel, but you're going to wear a $120 baseball cap. It bothers me a lot. Why does that bother me a lot? Well, we'll get at that when we talk about how much jealousy plays into this (laughs) or how much it's a personal thing. I mean, everyone's emotions all go back to when they were a kid. Uh, I look back on my childhood, and and if there's one word that describes my attitude when I was a kid, if I'm going to be negative, it was tool. I think like I was a grade A number one tool. So now I am very sensitive and very critical of people who I think make fools of themselves. Interesting. At the behest of people more powerful than them. Also, I just don't get fashion to begin with. I don't care about clothes. Buying clothes is one of the most tedious things I have to do in my life. I love men's fashion, and I think when I, I know you do, when I lost a lot of weight and I was able to wear different kinds of clothes this is going back to 2003 i never considered it anything it was just sort of a functional void or something that was a necessity and not necessarily a form of self-expression but once i came to learn that dressing the male could also have self-expression i regarded wardrobe and clothing in a completely different way and not merely on the terms of buy nice things for a lot of money and that means a lot but just buy the right things that mean something to yourself to your personality and to the way you look and that is why you now own two dozen in pocket squares i have a little less than two dozen what i actually i have uh, okay. an obscene amount of bow ties and neckties that you're yes, not you do. bow ties yes. and i have a, i have an extensive yeah. cravat collection and i have a few ascots you are my number one cravat guy get this yes. i also i am the owner of a smoking jacket which i'm very much <laughs> looking forward to pulling out at my next Considering party. Considering you don't smoke, that's, uh, that's I don't smoke, but it looks really great. I look great in it. But I appreciate wearing something nice, and I appreciate putting some attention into the way one looks, especially, it's my personal opinion uh, that men leave this kind of thing behind because it's seen as being feminine or it's seen as being, I'm not saying that you're saying this, I'm saying that my general impression from my peers is that this is something that is disregarded and ignored because it's unimportant. And so I do know a lot of guys who are 40 years old and can't tie a necktie, which, make your own value judgment 
argument about that. I think that it is a simple thing to learn how to tie a double Windsor, but a lot of men don't. Brands like Supreme, and not certainly only Supreme, but Supreme is one of the reasons why you have a generation of 40-year-old men who dress like 13-year-olds, which is why you have sweatpants <laughs> culture, which is why you have skateboard sneaker culture. You have boxy, ill-fitting t-shirts. You have a silhouette that makes men look juvenile because men never graduate from what they're told is cool when they're a teenager so right. people just keep right. on the same aesthetic now i had to learn it myself and i taught my i was motivated to learn and again i had to lose weight in order to fit into it because there weren't a lot of things that i had and obviously it costs money dressing up nicely turns in, very quickly turns into a classist enterprise yes and a capitalist yes. enterprise, which is certainly, yes. it's hard to make a commodity out of food, and yet we've done it. And it's hard to make a commodity out of clothes, and we've done that too. So to weaponize shirts and to weaponize hats and to weaponize shoes and pants and things like that, Supreme has done a fantastic job. Much the yeah. same way as H&M and Topshop did too, which is artificially suppressing supply to create a demand. I think we need to talk a little more directly about Supreme. You alluded to it, but their business model is they have a very limited supply at any one time. So they have these stores, store in New York, store in LA, store in London, and then like three stores in Japan, yeah. store in Paris as well. And they're small stores and every Thursday morning, they release new clothing in very limited designs. And to their credit, the designs are very artistic in the sense that they partner with other labels and they partner with actual artists and they create these creative concepts. Right now, on their website, apparently what they're selling this week is there's a bunch of M.C. Escher-inspired jackets, you know, jackets with M.C. Escher designs on them or something like that. In terms of streetwear, because we're talking streetwear and the hip-hop kind of influence, hoodies, jackets, a lot of... You still call them baseball caps? I think of anything as a brim, with yeah. anything with a brim as no, a baseball cap. It's a ball cap. T-shirts, obviously... Uh, they have a lot of sneakers and they have them in a very limited run so it's this hype so there are these guys who are obsessed with and they're all guys obsessed with Supreme and they will camp out Wednesday nights at the store to buy this stuff and then of course you have the secondary market retailers who pay these kids 50 bucks to wait online and have them buy five copies of everything and then they resell it on eBay or wherever as you said the very limited supply creates heightened demand that's such a New York thing man well it's not a New York thing because that happens I mean look it's bigger in Japan than it is here. It is, so but I the think concept Japanese culture does a lot of that, and you'll find that in London, and you'll certainly find that in LA. In particular, you have the phenomenon of I've experienced this many, many times. I go out to eat in Brooklyn because some friend moved to Brooklyn because they thought it was cool, and I don't want to go to fucking Brooklyn, but I'm in Brooklyn, and it's Wednesday yeah. night at about six fifteen, and we're gonna try to go out and get something to eat, right? And we're in Park Slope somewhere, and hey, let's go to that Italian place. It's like great at six fifteen. I heard it was pretty good. Yeah, that's a good Italian place. You get there, there's a fucking three hour line at 615. Why? Because there's 12 chairs. Because the chef is hot. Because he bought a fucking broom closet and put this buzzy restaurant in. It's like, yep. this is yep. nonsense. It's like, don't tell me that you can't have a bigger house. You can't have a bigger shop. It's like, you have artificially created this thing that you want a bunch of people in fedoras and strappy sandals wandering the streets in front of your place so that passersby make it look like, oh, Jesus, they must be serving communion wafer there. It must be so good. But the people with the strappy sandals... And the fedoras, they chose to go there. Right. I mean, but it's you know, you can't blame the guy for having the tiny shop. It can't just be having the tiny shop. Dude, I was doing public events in a tiny venue and we still weren't getting people. Having a tiny venue is not what gets 
the, the cool people waiting outside. What is it? The Magnolia Bakery, the cupcake thing. They were in no way, shape, or form worthy of the line that they boasted outside on Baker right. Street. And yet there was a line around that place, around the block. Well, but like, that was marketing. That was marketing. Okay, and so that's exactly They made what, it seem like a hot thing. I mean, in 1994, this guy Jebbia did the same thing. And it's like, and everybody picked up on the idea of, oh, if we artificially tamper off supply, and if we add buzz that has no reason to be there, or that is unearned, we will create a line, and people, if they see yes. a line, people will wait on a line if they see a line. That's exactly what happened. And you're right. And that and he doubled down on that strategy. Apparently, at a Supreme store, service is awful. Go to Supreme's Facebook page, and it's nothing but comments about people who are pissed off because the service was bad, or they ordered something on their website, and it was bad. Supreme didn't have a, their own website till about 10 years ago. And now they do, and you can buy stuff online. It's online. like going to a restaurant in New York. You sit down, and it's 15 yeah. minutes before they bring you fucking water. And it's another 35 yeah, minutes they, before they, they bring you a menu. This, yeah, we are such hot shit that we don't need to kowtow to anyone. Well, look, people fall for it. It. Don't get mad at Supreme. Get mad at the people who fall for it. Get mad at the people who don't spend half as much on a t-shirt that looks just as good somewhere else because they feel they have to have this logo on their shirt. I have enough I vitriol mean, for people, everybody. This is, right. Well, this is why I'm pissed because these people are tools. They're <laughs> fucking tools. They Even more tools. so here because I'm a rebel. I'm a... I'm a gangster. I'm a skater. You know, skateboarding isn't a crime. You know, I'm, I mean, the whole idea with skateboarding was like, I'm different. I don't fit in. I play it my own way, but here I am like online with a thousand other douchebags. Yeah. I also want to say I am no expert on fashion, not even remotely. And I think these clothes are from fucking fantasy land. I don't think a lot of them look very good. I think a lot of these jackets, especially are ridiculous looking. And there's even a quote in one of these articles about someone saying, all right, so I'm going to quote here. There's a writer named David Shapiro who wrote a book called The Supremacist about his obsession with Supreme. Sure. And admitting he was crazy. He's not even a skater. I said, one time in college, I went to into the New York store and looked at a jacket. I asked one of the employees if they had any left in my size. He said they didn't. And then he sort of laughed and said that they were shocked that anyone had bought this jacket, let alone that they'd sold out of it. He made it seem like the jacket was designed not to sell, like selling it contravened their intention for the product of something to draw people into the store to touch, talk about, and then come back the next week to do the same thing. It's like they're purposely aggravating people. Yeah, it's a dare. I'm just ranting now, so forget about it. How that. silly will people be? Okay, I'll quote too. Do you know who Glenn O'Brien is? The late Glenn O'Brien. He just died a couple of weeks ago. I do not. He was this fashion expert, I guess you'd call him. He's kind of a men's lifestyle. He wrote a column for GQ for a long time. I think he was peripheral to punk. Anyway, he was this guy that had this long relationship with writing about men's lifestyle and men's fashion. Pretty credible as far as I'm concerned. He had a couple of departures here and there, but, you know, he was almost like a Leonard Malton for neckwear and, and good suits. So he said, most businesses just have a goal of getting as big as possible. Supreme does not try to be in every department store in the world, preferring instead to stay underground a boutique. This is where it kills me. Supreme is a company that refuses to sell out. Those are his words, right? And it's like, <laughs> that's horseshit because, first of all, all they do is sell out, literally, Technically, but to have people who are credible sign off on this, it's like it, it, the reason why the clothes matter to people who are cool is because you can't get them. What's the point of anything if you can't get it? This is so good because you can't have it. It's zero sum. It's zero sum. It's genius in a way because it's affecting the we're underground, we're too cool for school. It's a very smart way of affecting that pose. So you guys are at the front of the line. How long have you been waiting? Yesterday since 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Are you crazy? A little bit. Since last night. And is it worth it? I guess so. 
8 p.m. last night. And why wait that long? You gotta get that Jordan Supreme collab. Are you a fan of Jordan? Uh, kinda, kinda not. It beggars the question, why is it popular? And I feel like we have hit that nail conclusively why it's popular. Yeah, because they create this sense of exclusivity and people want to seem rebellious and people want to see different. And then, of course, why did I say Minions was popular when we did Minions? Because it shoved down our throats, not by the mainstream mainstream, but by a sector of the culture that has a lot of cred, to use the term, that has a lot of influence, yeah. that is very desired and coveted by a certain group of people who live on hype, who are, fo- I mean, we're all followers or something. Another reason it's popular is everyone wants to belong and everyone wants to to feel like they're part of a tribe. Supreme has created this mystique of having this tribe and people want to be part of it. You know, I said before I would never spend more than $20 on a t-shirt or 30 And the one exception I can think of, not that I have possibly ever, but I might buy like a concert t-shirt or a t-shirt of my favorite band or something like that for a lot of money. And why am I doing that? Because yeah, I want to be part, I want to show my allegiance to this band because I want to express to people I'm a fan. I feel like the band gives you something. It gives you entertainment. Yeah. By saying I love why can I not think of an example here that seems like it's appropriate? Manfred Mann's uh, Earth Band. Okay, by saying I love Manfred Mann's Earth Band, <laughs> it says something about me. It says, this is the kind of music I like. This is the kind of art I appreciate. This is this is art that I think is worth praising. And here's something about my personality. By holding up Supreme, what are you saying? Are you saying you like supreme's design i mean i guess you are but it seems more you're saying like i'm a supreme person yeah and i just feel like supreme offers you nothing but the tribalism that's true as a band t-shirt offers you the tribalism and the joy of the music in my notes here i say it's selling cool to those who ache to be in a collective of cool people which i feel like is repeating what you're saying but the idea that there is a barrier of cool and not cool and the people who are on cool side, their job is to erect a barrier to keep you on the other side of it. There has to be some cachet right. where you can't osmosize across a membrane. And I feel like my entire life as a child, it was being on one firm side of the cool barrier. I got so used to seeing other people being cool and being held at arm's reach arm's length, I should say, that it occurred to me that I don't ever want to be part of that. I don't, I don't want to be anywhere near that. If it was the, the status symbol when we were kids, and I'm sure it was in your particular suburb, similarly, but out on Long Island where I was, people were uh, using the first iteration of Nike Air sneakers. Oh, yeah. Right? 86, 87, 88. And they were using the champion sweatshirt, which was a humble sweatshirt with a a mere embroidered C over the breast. And yet those those two things became the focus of so much childhood enmity where you were called poor, you were called an idiot, you were called yeah. a tool, you were dismissed and demeaned for not owning the right two garments. And there was no way my family could afford either of those things. I mean, a, a pair of Nike Air sneakers in 1987. And the same thing with a champion sweatshirt. It cost way more than what my mother was willing to buy me. I quickly became aware that this is cruelty. This is absolute cruelty. This is people using classes, class assist tactics against one another and mm-hmm. uh, to make money to make money but then once you make on- yes uh, put pitting people against each other to make money and i'm not even saying like yeah shame on the manufacturers shame on tommy hilfiger for knowing what his overpriced clothes would do as they became status symbols amongst uh, rappers in the early late 80s early 90s yeah. and it's like shame on yeah. champion and shame on nike for creating these status symbols and then cashing in on them now i don't necessarily know if people are being made to feel bad about each other because of supreme however i can't look at supreme and regard it as anything but the idea that this is a confederation of cool people who have made it their business to make you 
you feel as stupid as possible for not knowing why they're wearing the red <laughs> box logo. The horizontal Futura logo that was designed by artist yeah. Barbara Kruger. It's not even a very interesting logo. No. It's pretty basic. It's not. It's not. It's handsome in its basicness. You know, I don't think it's a bad logo and it certainly suits their thing. But again, it's like it's affecting this idea of like we scrawled it on a napkin and that there's nothing to this. Yeah. This is my problem with fashion. Like, I don't understand big fashion designers. I don't understand fashion shows. You have these models who don't look like human beings wearing clothes that no normal human being would ever wear. Like, what are we looking at here? Are we looking at art? Okay, well, then let's go to a fucking museum. I think with fashion models and like the tents of Bryant Park and those yeah. things, it is art. You could at least term those things art. I do believe that there is a powerful amount of expression in, in something that, say, Vivian Westwood or uh, Michael Kors would design. And then this isn't necessarily art. This is almost like commerce. They're just creating instant collectibles. I'll give them a little more credit than that. I definitely think there's some creativity to this stuff. I mean, I if we're talking Supreme, uh, I don't get it. It's not my thing, and I am bothered by what feels like the commodification and the co-opting of what did indeed start as a DIY street culture, which yeah. I was never a skater, but I was kind of a punk. Kind of, kind of, kind of. Let me put it this way. I'd rather look at the hats in the Supreme store than the hats in lids that are all just sports teams. You're well aware of Supreme's oftentimes bizarre and seemingly useless range of accessories that crop up each season. From floodlights to helmets, dishes, to a literal brick, the NYC skate brand knows exactly how to confuse people with every drop. But because it is Supreme, these strange items will sell out within seconds, leaving behind a trail of disappointed hypebeasts who often go to great lengths to get their hands on anything Supreme. Would you like it if you were a kid? And this takes me right back to being 13 for the precisely the reasons of the champion sweatshirt and the Nike sneaker. It is this exclusiveness. And the whole point of exclusiveness is so someone could be excluded. And look, people have it worse than me. Whatever the social psychic scars of being 13-year-old at the time stick with me my entire life. And it makes me wage war against the cool. No one should be made to feel the ego death of being uncool at an age right. where you are so receptive to bruising and... And you become a cloistered person who is made to feel bad about themselves by unthinking, unknowing clods just essentially using a sweatshirt as a weapon against you. It's the totem, a, you know, a doorway into what it's like to be cool when you're 13, 14. You know, and by the time I'm 20, I don't give a shit anymore. So we're just talking about being a teenager. I would have wanted it and I would have not been able to get it. There's no way I could have afforded it. And I would have regarded right. it as warning. That sounds more self-possessed than most kids. I mean, I mean, what I have liked this is when I was a kid, it depends what you mean by kid. If we're talking older than 13, the answer is absolutely not because I never had any interest in fashion. Like I said, I wasn't a skateboarder and my interest in punk didn't extend beyond what I actually listened to. You know, it didn't extend to my clothing. So younger than that, I'm going to give it a big asterisk and say maybe because I was so desperate for acceptance and approval as a young child that I would chase down anything that I thought was the silver bullet to make me cool. So when I was nine, I asked my parents to buy me a Benetton shirt. And when I was eight, I asked my mom to buy me Air Jordans. And I didn't particularly care about these things. And it's not like I would have read articles about them. And I might have cared a little. I might have woken up one day in fourth grade and said, if I have a t-shirt with the Supreme logo, that's going to make me cool. 
mom, buy me a Supreme Logo t-shirt. And if she had been able to, she would have spent $50 on a t-shirt for me and rolled her eyes and given it to me as a birthday present. And I would have worn it for five months and then I would have stopped caring. And then of course, once I turned 13, I would have rejected it because that makes me a tool and I don't want to be a tool. I got to be my own man. I had this watershed moment when I was about to start high school that uh, all my fr most of my friends were frenemies. I was chasing after inauthentic stuff. I was going to be my own person. I'm damn glad I did. You know, so. I, I feel like I learned so much more about you every time we talk about childhood. It's Oh man, I'm... I'm, I'm open in a vein on this podcast. It's peeling away it the layers the, of time. It's it's peeling the onion and seeing what it is yes. that goes into Uncle Tarney. What makes him tick? I really yeah. like it. It is the get off my lawn and climb into my psyche podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm Glenn O'Brien, and uh, um, I'm from New York, and here I'm in L.A. with Tyler, the creator. Oh. The way I wear Supreme is I go in my closet and grab whatever shirt I feel like wearing. I usually wear the same hat for like months until it's worn out. I usually just wear like one thing. I don't like dress like head to toe. Is this a sign of the apocalypse? You know what? Because this keeps recurring over and over again, like the horrible future portended in Battlestar Galactica, where the Cylons and the humans were doomed to just repeat this over and over again, I don't think it's a sign of the apocalypse because this keeps happening. Every single generation has a Supreme. Every single generation has a champion sweatshirt. It can't possibly be termed an apocalypse just because it seems to be what people want. It regenerates itself. It's like a perennial flower, right? It blooms and it blooms and it goes away for the winter and it blooms and it blooms. There's always some gullible 13-year-old with more money than Croesus that their parents are willing to spend on them, who's willing to buy this and make it part of the renewals. I disagree. I think this is a sign of the apocalypse. You're glossing over what I see as the primary difference between Supreme and Benetton, Champion, what have you. Supreme's marketing hook as we've mentioned, is rooted in the facade of authenticity. That I'm a rebel, I'm a punk, I'm a gangster because I pay this company to advertise for them. I could be wrong because I, I don't know that much, but Champion didn't do that. Benetton peddled peace and love, but that had different cast to it. Mm -hmm. I think since the 90s, since irony became the watchword of marketing and advertising and McDonald's was doing ads trying to appeal to stoners, I think ever since then, there's definitely been a trying to sell authenticity while being inauthentic, inauthentically trying to sell an authenticity. Yeah. And Supreme seems to me a prime example of this. I mean, I guess it could be worse. I guess it could be owned by Dow Chemical. You know, <laughs> I guess if Supreme were, you know, if Supreme were- A subsidiary at Halliburton, exactly. Well, yeah, maybe in some ways Urban Outfitters is worse because that's owned by you know, some right-wing crazy guy. I like where you're going with it, though. It is the bandwagon piling on, like, I'm going to be a rebel by joining the millions of other rebels. Real becomes fake and fake becomes real and the snake is eating its own tail and who knows what will be the truth and who knows what will be the lie anymore. I think you got something. I think you may have actually turned my mind yeah. on that because I, you phrased Good. it. You phrased it pretty well. <laughs> we need more doomsaying. We need more dark thinking. I think you're right. I mean, not that we hadn't come upon that point before, but... The idea of it smashing into the 13-year-old version of me who, you know, has some cosmetic grievances, it does mean a lot more that the selling of the slick and the hollow as something substantive, look, I mean, politically and seriously, we keep coming up upon that here too. It means something both political and personal to us in terms of losing the value of communication symbols and what words mean between two different people. Something just no longer carries the meaning. And so the word exclusive, the word authentic, the word streetwear for Christ 
Christ's sake. There's a reason why I brought yeah. that up at the beginning, because it sounds like a euphemism. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what's a streetwear? Totally. I picture the truck driving over you as it puts the yellow lines in the street down. <laughs> you know, like something from Harold Lloyd, yes. something ridiculous. I'm, I'm buying everything, because I'm a hype beast, you know? If you don't know that this is how it is, then you haven't been here before. You just got to get it. You have to. And you could even, like, trace the brand for, like, weed and stuff. I think the brand is so fucking powerful that it's making me buy a fucking crowbar. So, Bill, is your hatred of a Supreme, is that jealousy? Oh, yeah, at least 50% jealousy. Part of it is definitely the lack of utility. It's just the idea that something is being commodified beyond the range. of It's being weaponized. It's being commoditized. And then on top of that, there is jealousy over someone is attempting to build a divide that is meant to keep me out. So that's specifically sour grapes. I feel like sour grapes is a type of jealousy or it's a manifestation of jealousy. It has fueled my adult life to sort of be the St. George of cool. Just go out there and <laughs> cut its throat at every opportunity if I can find it. For whatever that's worth in life, that's become a mission statement. What about you? I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think by definition, everything we talk about on this podcast, I'm going to have some element of jealousy towards because I was marketing a product for the public that failed to find its audience. And mm -hmm. I still can't can't really pinpoint why. I am jealous of anything that is successful enough to warrant its inclusion. See, I thought this would this. hit. I thought this would hit for that reason. Yeah, That's part yeah, of the reason but, why I brought it but up. But there's jealousy on that element. Obviously, I never tried to make it in the world of fashion or skate culture. So unlike Jimmy Fallon, who's succeeded in a field that I would have loved to have succeeded in, the, the jealousy isn't as strong as that. I don't know if it's really jealousy per se, but it definitely touches a nerve with me because as a kid, I felt like a tool. So I profoundly rejected that in since I was a teenager. So now when I see other people acting like a tool, I want to go, hey, look, they're being tools. Why aren't you mad at them? Why don't you make fun of them? I want to kind of like, why aren't they being abused? <sighs> no, I wasn't abused. No, I, anyway, yeah. socially abused. I'm a little jealous. But whatever, I just roll my eyes and I move on. As many people are probably rolling their eyes and complaining about us at this very moment <laughs> as well. I believe that wraps us up. If, uh, if you That want, is it. If you want to find past episodes, look on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us, noahandbilldon'tgetit at gmail.com. And visit idontgetitpodcast.com. Give us a review. We've heard plenty of good words from our regular crew of listeners, yes. including Melissa Silvestri, Aaron Chang, Zachary Kuntz, Aaron Grunfeld, Marie Mandaka, Kevin Marr, Kevin Scurry, and Michael Cohen. All good friends of ours. We love them and we appreciate yes. the happy words Pretty that you've, much. All, yeah, you've all given us. You can find Thank me in particular at William Scurry on Twitter and on YouTube. My filmmaking work can be found at AM Caesar. I am mainly at bigquizthing.com, the purveyors of the finest in corporate and private trivia events nationwide. We're on Twitter at, at bigquizthing, and I am also on Twitter at Noah Tarno, where I continue my 2017 karaoke marathon, singing an Access of 400 songs this year. Support the ACLU. Learn more at Noatarno or Noatarno.com. All right. Until All right. next time, we certainly do not get it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2017.